We are preparing for Resurrection Sunday tonight, and I want to do that by just looking at some critical scriptures that led up to uh, Sunday itself. I think sometimes this is a, a great opportunity to step into the Gospels, and so as much as anything, I've created a little bit of a self-study guide for you so that maybe in your quiet times over the next few days, you might want to look up some of these scriptures. We're going to start with a test. So if you open to page two, you can see this is what we call a Passion Week quiz. We're going to go through the questions pretty quickly so that we can come back and then correct them and make comments. And so I'm just asking you to put your best answer. You really typically either know it the first time you read the line or you don't. There's no trick questions here, I promise you. So it's pretty straightforward, all right? So are we ready? Everyone ready? If you need a pen, there's one in the seat back pocket. You can just grab it and uh, let's follow along. Number one, the term Passion Week, also known as Holy Week, is the time from Palm Sunday through Resurrection Sunday, the time when Christ entered Jerusalem on a coat, Colt cleansed the temple, spoke of his return, instituted the Lord's table, died and was resurrected. The time when Christ truly revealed his willingness to endure suffering in order to accomplish the Father's will in providing our salvation, or D, all of the above. Choose the best. Okay, and then we'll, we'll go back and we'll look at some of these critical scripture that will give you the actual answers on most of these. Number two, the instruction Jesus gave on the night before he was betrayed is... Best known as the Olivet Discourse, best known as the Farewell or Upper Room Discourse, best known as the Lord's Prayer, or none of the above. Choose the best answer. Number three, the Garden of Gethsemane is geographically located where the original Garden of Eden once was, a short distance from where Jesus was born, at the base of the Mount of Olives, or none of the above. Four, the disciples that accompanied Christ into the inner recesses of the garden were Peter, Judas, and Jude, Peter, James, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or none of the above. All right, number five. When Jesus brought the disciples to Gethsemane, he asked them to rest because they had a difficult day in front of them, to keep watching and praying to prepare their weapons for a possible attack, or none of the above. Number six, when Christ went to pray by himself in the garden, the distance between him and the disciples could best be described as a long way off, about a furlong, a stone's throw, or none of the above. Seven, when Christ prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, his soul was deeply grieved, He was strengthened by an angel. He prayed with loud crying and tears. He sweat blood, or E, all of the above. Number eight, when the Lord Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed out loud on his knees with his face down to the ground. He prayed silently on his knees. He prayed out loud, standing up. He was so grieved he could not speak. Number nine, when Jesus prayed, if possible, let this cup pass from me, it can be best described as the physical torture of the crucifixion, best be described as the mental anguish of rejection by enemies and friends, best be described as the wrath of God, 
or none of the above? Choose your best answer. All right, number 10. You staying with me? I'm not going too fast, am I? Again, we either know it or we don't pretty much. Um, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, A, he prayed for just a few minutes before his enemies interrupted him. He prayed for several hours while the disciples slept and then was arrested. He prayed for one hour and then was arrested or none of the above. Number 11, Jesus urged them to remain spiritually alert and to continue praying for strength to withstand the temptation because they could have a surprise attack by the enemy, because the spirit was willing but the flesh was weak, because all of them praying might avert the cross or none of the above. Number 12, how many people did Judas bring with him to arrest Christ? A multitude, a great multitude of people, a Roman cohort led by a Roman Chiliarch, a handful of the scribes and Pharisees plus the temple guard, over a thousand people were all of the above. 13, the disciple who drew his sword to protect Christ was Andrew, the beloved disciple of John, the beloved disciple John, Peter, or none of the above. 14, in rebuke to his disciple who drew the sword, Jesus said, put the sword into the sheath. Stop, no more of this. All those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. We're all of the above. Number 15, on the night that Christ was arrested, he faced only one trial before Pilate, just two trials before Caiaphas and Pilate, Three trials before Caiaphas, Annas, and Pilate, or a total of six trials. 16. After Judas betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver, Judas felt deep remorse, repented, and was saved. Jesus felt deep remorse but did not repent. Judas had no choice because this was prophesied concerning him or none of the above. 17, that Judas was an apostle who ultimately committed suicide is the reason he is in hell. Is clear evidence that he was saved and lost his salvation. Is evidence that he had never been truly born again or none of the above. 18, the death of Judas can best be described as death by hanging, death by falling headlong with his bowels gushing out, a contradiction in the Bible, or both A and B. 19, before Pilate, the religious leaders accused Christ of misleading the nation, forbidding giving taxes to Caesar, claiming to be a king, stirring up the people, or all of the above. Number 20, the stated reason Pilate sent Christ to Herod Antipas was because Jesus was a Galilean and under Herod's jurisdiction. He and Herod were good friends. He couldn't be bothered with Jesus or none of the above. 
21, after Pilate declared that he could find no guilt in Christ to satisfy the crowd, he sent him to Herod. He had Christ scourged. He had him scourged and allowed the soldiers to mock him as a king or none of the above. 22, how many times did Pilate confess that he could find no reason for putting Christ to death? Once, twice, three times, or four times. 23, the name of the place where Christ was crucified is known as Golgotha, the cranium or the skull, as Calvary, or all of the above. 24, the expression Via Dolorosa refers to a famous song sung during Holy Week, the place where some do the stations of the cross, a Latin expression meaning the way of grief or the way of suffering, a street in the old city of Jerusalem where you can buy souvenirs, the traditional path Christ took from the praetorium to Golgotha, or all of the above. Twenty-five. The sign over the top of Christ's cross was written in Greek, in Latin, in Hebrew, or you could say Jewish Aramaic, or all of the above. Twenty-six. The crowds who witnessed the events of the crucifixion went away cursing God, praising God, beating their breasts, or none of the above. 27, while Christ carried his cross to the place of a skull, women ministered to Christ. Women were mourning and lamenting Christ. Christ spoke with his mother, Mary. A woman wiped his face, and his face was imprinted in the towel, or all of the above. 28, while Christ carried his own cross, Simon of Cyrene, reluctantly helped carry the cross of Jesus, began reluctantly, but then gladly carried the cross of Jesus, helped carry the cross of Jesus, or none of the above. Choose the best answer. 29. The person or persons who asked Pilate for the body of Christ was the Pharisees, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, the Apostle Peter, or all of the above. Number 30, if Christ died on Friday, to say that he arose from the dead on the third day demands that he must have been crucified on Thursday, demands that since he was crucified on Friday, and resurrected on Sunday that Christians can not count or there is an error in the Bible, demands that we follow the Jewish understanding that a part of a day can signify an entire day or none of the above. 33, the first two apostles to come to the tomb were Judas and John, Andrew and John, James and John, Peter and John. 34, after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, an angel of the Lord rolled back the stone and sat on it. Certain Old Testament saints rose from the dead. 
Mary Magdalene and other, the other Mary saw Christ and worshipped him, or all of the above. 35, after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, before he ascended, he appeared to the disciples for 10 days, for two weeks, until three days before Pentecost, or for 40 days. All right, so let's uh, work through the test and you can correct your answer. And again, my, my goal in this is not to trip you up, but to motivate you to study the Passion Week, as we often call it. So let's go to number one. Um, the correct answer is D, all of the above, all of the above. So when we speak of uh, Passion Week, or sometimes it's called Holy Week, it's usually dated from Palm Sunday through Resurrection Sunday. So that's the time frame. And it includes a number of sometimes events that especially the liturgical churches tend to follow. Like sometimes there's what we call Holy Wednesday or Spy Wednesday as they'll call it, that would be today. Uh, except that today it happens to be Passover through tomorrow evening because the Jews are on a lunar calendar, but on the year Jesus was crucified, he died on Friday. So Holy Wednesday, that was the day um, Judas spied out uh, the plan, so to speak, uh, with the uh, religious leaders to have Jesus arrested. And so especially the Eastern Orthodox Church, Ukrainian Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, all those folks tend to celebrate that. Monday, Thursday, what does Monday mean? Command. So we're speaking about Command Thursday. So where was Jesus primarily on Thursday night? Upper room, right? So he's in the upper room and he gives three critical commands. Some would say two. One, serve. He got down and washed their feet. What I've done, you should do to one another. He said, love one another just as I loved you. A new commandment. Wait a minute, that's in the, uh, that's in the Torah. It's a new commandment and that we love just like he loved us. We're talking about a new level of love. And then third, the third command that we're given in, in that Thursday is the Lord's Supper. And that's why I'm so glad you're here tonight. Whenever the Lord's Supper is celebrated, you should do everything in your power to gather. And we alternate between Sunday morning and Wednesday nights for those who sometimes have to work on Sunday, our military who sometimes are called out. All right, Good Friday. Um, we're celebrating the death. Why would we call it Good Friday? Well, it seems like what the Romans did was not good, but what they meant for evil, God meant for good, right? And uh, so we call it Good Friday because it was on this day that the Lord bought our redemption. The Bible, by the way, doesn't command us to observe these days. There can be, though, some utility in doing that. Uh, some churches might have a Good Friday service. We've done that on occasion. And sometimes a church will have a very somber service and be very low-key, and then celebrate on Sunday. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's how it's typically done. Um, and then there's Holy Saturday, as it's called. Between Good Friday and Easter, the work of redemption had been finished, and so Jesus, quote-unquote, rested on the seventh day, Saturday, and so they call it Holy Saturday. And then, of course, Resurrection Sunday, or sometimes Easter Sunday. Now, does the word Easter appear in the New American Standard? No. It appears only in one translation of the Bible, the King James Version. But the word Pascha, Passover, appears 29 times in the Greek New Testament, 28 times in the King James, and once is Easter in the King James. 
Now, is it wrong to use the term Easter? No, it, the term Passover or Pascha can refer to a singular day or sometimes an extended period of time, including the Feast of Unleavened Bread, depending on how it's used in the context. But again, words are given to communicate, and so they're trying to communicate a time frame. Uh, some Christians get all bent out of shape over using the word Easter, and they say it has pagan origins. Well, it doesn't really anymore. But thou, though it seems to be going back to more of a secular usage, Easter has no longer become a principal day of worship in the Christian church, but a time to go to the beach and celebrate. This is the time people take off, and they celebrate, but not the death and resurrection of our Savior. So nothing wrong with calling it Easter, but of course it's become more and more pagan. I, maybe we should just call it Resurrection Sunday. All right, so Passion Week. Now we tend to use the word passion like sometimes in a sexual way or sometimes of something that someone is passionate about. But it has nothing to do with that in terms of the title Passion Week. It comes from the Latin word and it means suffering. So when we speak of Passion Week, though certainly Jesus had a determination to go to the cross, historically it's used from the Latin translation of the Bible to describe the suffering that Christ went through. All right, question number two. We gotta keep moving, right? You can see how this could take a long time. The correct answer is B, the farewell or upper room discourse. Now they're in the upper room in chapter 13, and then 14, 15, 16, and then the priestly prayer in 17 is not the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. They leave the upper room on the way to Gethsemane. He stops and he has the high priestly prayer, and then he continues on to Gethsemane. But there's a tremendous amount of doctrine and truth that is taught in that, in that section. All right, uh, question number three, what's the correct answer? C, at the base of the Mount of Olives. So sometimes I've tried to picture if, if this is the top of the Mount of Olives, um, the Mount of Olives is about 250 feet higher than the Temple Mount. So if that's the top up there, Temple Mount's gonna be a little bit lower. You go down the Mount of Olives and at the base there's the Garden of Gethsemane. And then from the Garden of Gethsemane, you go, Gethsemane, you go across the Kidron Valley, which was much deeper in Jesus' day, and then on up to the Temple Mount. So it's at the base of the Mount of Olives. Um, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, Matthew said. And uh, John indicates, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden, in which he entered with his disciples. So they're not coming from the top of the Mount of Olives, they're coming from another locale, the upper room, so to speak, and they, and they come over the Kidron to, to that garden. And of course, the scripture says it was a place where he often met with his disciples. Uh, Gethsemane, of course, you know, means oil press. Why? Because there's a lot of olive trees there. They actually found an oil press from the first century. Some people think maybe that's why it was called the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's certainly a place where Jesus was in great anguish. Number four, the disciples that accompanied Jesus into the inner recesses of the garden were who? Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. B, 
B is the correct answer. They're kind of the inner three, right? The inner three. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee. Who are the two sons of Zebedee? Mark says Peter and James and John. Number five, when Christ brought the disciples to Gethsemane, he asked them, what's the correct answer? B, to keep watching and praying. Matthew records, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Luke says, why are you sleeping? Jesus asked, get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Six, when Christ went to pray by himself in the garden, the distance between him and the disciples could best be described as C, a stone's throw. Luke tells us that, and he withdrew from, about the, from them about a stone's throw. How far is a stone's throw? Stone's throw. <laughs> we, we, uh, we go to this private garden when we go to Gethsemane, just because there could be like 3,000 people shoulder, shoulder to shoulder over here, and you we pay a fee, and we go into this, and it's virtually empty. I said, well, now we're going to go over to the place where Christ prayed, and if I took a stone, I said, I've just about hit the spot. It's a stone's throw. Anyway, so that's where Jesus uh, met in some locale there on the Gethsemane. We don't know which side. There's a traditional spot which the Church of the Nations is built over because there's a large stone as described in, in the Gospels that nothing else replicates, so it is no doubt the, the place. Seven, when Christ pl- prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, What's the correct answer? All of the above. All of the above. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death, Mark records. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, was praying fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood. It's called hematidrosis. For those of you in the medical realm, the small capillaries under the skin, when someone is under intense pressure and strain, will literally burst and someone will sweat blood. And Luke, why would Luke note that, do you suppose? Yeah, he's a doctor, he's a doctor. The writer of the Hebrews tells us something that the Gospels don't. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. By the way, was there ever a time when Jesus was not filled with the Spirit? He was always filled with the Spirit. So sometimes we create these plastic, this is what it means to be spirit-filled. This is what you should look like. His heart is broken. He's sweating blood. He's grieved. He's crying. He's in tears. But he's filled with the Spirit. Eight, when the Lord Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the correct answer is A, he prayed out loud on his knees And at one point, his face was to the ground. He fell on his face, Matthew 26, 39. He fell to the ground, Luke 14. He knelt down initially, Luke 22. So he kneels down. At some point, he falls face down. He's on his stomach praying. You ever do that? Elijah did it. It's an expression of humility. Some Christians don't even get on their knees. And with loud crying and tears. In fact, turn to Hebrews 5 for just a second. That's an interesting text. Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5 and verse 7. In the days of his flesh, the text says, 
He offered up both prayers and supplications, verse 7, with loud crying and tears to the one who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Now, that's interesting. To save him from death. Now, there are different words in Greek for from. In English, context determines the meaning of how we use the word from. Like I might ask God to heal me from a particular sickness, meaning out of the sickness that I'm currently in. Or I could pray, you know, Lord, keep me from that sickness, meaning I don't want to get into that sickness at all. And so what's in view here? Jesus is praying to save him from death. Ek is the Hebrew, a Greek word, and if you have the New American Standard with footnotes, if there's any sense of ambiguity in the reader's mind, then the NAS will footnote it so that no one can be misled. And if you go out into the margin, this is why it's helpful to have a Bible with marginal notes. If you don't have one, you should come to meet the pastor, your gifted one from a family in our church. It means out of. So what's he talking about? Now, it says he was heard. When it says he was heard, does that mean it was answered? Yeah, it means he was ans- it was answered. Well, wait a minute, I thought he died. He did die. How is, this, how is it answered? Through the resurrection. So you, you see this divine human play throughout the scripture. On the one hand, God has prophesied and predicted Messiah is going to be raised from the dead. On the other hand, the Lord Jesus in Gethsemane is praying that he would be delivered out of the realm of death, that his body would be resurrected. It's an incredible, incredible passage of Scripture. All right, let's keep going. Number nine we're on, right? Number nine. Uh, When Jesus prayed, if possible, let this cup pass from me, it can be best described as what? What number? C, the wrath of God. So it's not the physical torture of crucifixion or the mental anguish that one might face, and certainly he faced both of those. He was mocked, he was laughed at. Uh, It's used in scripture, the cup of the cup of judgment. Jeremiah 25, 15, I gave you that as one of the critical scriptures. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, take this cup of wine of wrath from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. And so in the Revelation, John writes, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. So Jesus tells us, he's giving us some insight into the horrors of the cross. It certainly was not the physical torture, though that was horrible. Jesus practiced what he preached. He told us that if we follow him, we could be persecuted, yes, even physically. The horror of the cross was when he shouted out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For he died not just physically, he died spiritually. And as you'll often hear me say, as an infinite person in a finite period of time during those three hours, he could accomplish what you and I as finite people would need to take all of eternity to pull off. 
the first time in all of eternity, this perfect, unbroken love relationship is going to be severed as he becomes sin for us. Number 10, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the correct answer is C. He prayed for one hour and then was arrested. He said in Matthew 26, could you not keep watch with me for one hour? He said in Mark's account, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? <laughs> I went to a prayer meeting back in the 80s, and the pastor said, it's going to be an hour long. Oh, hour long. We're going to pray for a whole hour. <laughs> and then he quoted this scripture to us. 11, Jesus urged them to remain spiritually alert and to continue praying for strength to withstand the temptation. Why? How many said A? How many said B? Correct answer is B, yes. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. So I'm sure they prayed some, and who knows how much worse their performance had, could, could have been that night had they not prayed at all. In either case, um, number 12, how many people did Judas bring with him to arrest Christ? If you were here on Sunday, you should know that it is E, all of the above. Matthew says, or Mark says a multitude, an oikos. Now the new, new translation says a crowd. I don't like that. I like oikos, which is typically translated as a multitude. I think it, a crowd could maybe conjure up in your mind, oh, there's a crowd here of 50 people. But in elsewhere in Scripture, it's used of a much larger group. So Mark says a multitude. Matthew says a great multitude, Matthew 26, 47. And as we studied from John 18, a Roman cohort, or some English Bibles say a Roman battalion. And if you know the Roman battalions, it could be 600 or 1,000. But then when you come down to verse 12, as we looked at it on Sunday, John 18, 12, a commander, and it brought you out in the margin and actually transliterated the Greek word, kiliarch. It's kiliarchos in Greek. It means a thousand. So we speak of the chiliistic reign of Christ when you're reading books on prophecy, meaning the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, the English word chiliism means a thousand. You don't probably use it much every day, do you? But, but that's what's in view. A leader of a thousand men. And so, again, the passion of the Christ, I'm grateful for the discussions that it generated, but there was so much error in it. It was just riddled with error. And I didn't want to bring up the error when I'm discussing it with people. I'm just glad they wanted to talk about Jesus. <laughs> but it was more Roman Catholic than it was biblical. 13, the, but there was a lot of good things in it that were accurate too. 13, the disciple who drew his sword to protect Christ was Peter. Yeah, Peter. And one of those who was with Jesus reached and drew his sword, Matthew writes. Mark says one of those drew his sword, struck the slave of the high priest, cut off his ear. Luke says, and one of them struck them, cut off his ear, and it goes, he goes on to say, and he touched his ear and healed him. Why would Luke, he's a doctor, he would note that, he's the only one who notes that. Did he use super glue? <laughs> Not at all. I mean, you know, that, that's the last recorded miracle before the resurrection. Picks the ear up off the ground, instantly heals it back to the head, no blood, perfect. That guy must have been blown away. <laughs> Simon Peter, John writes, 
did it, and he, John, names that the guy's name is Malchus. All right, 14, in rebuke to this disciple who drew the sword, Jesus said, put the sword into the sheath. Stop no more of this. All of those who take up the sword will perish by the sword or all of the above. Which is the correct answer? All of the above. All of those were said. Again, the critical scripture is here for you to read. Now, if you were here on Sunday, you should know the answer to number 15. The correct answer is D, six trials. There were three religious trials and there were three civil trials. Remember before Annas, the high priest, the real high priest, because he was high priest for life, Caiaphas, the replacement high priest that the Romans recognized, Annas' son-in-law, and so he had to send them there because they wouldn't listen to anything honest would say. And then he goes before the council, the Sanhedrin. And then he goes before Pilate. Pilate sends him to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate. So six trials, some would count five, but, and that Pilate is, appears twice. All right, 16. After Judas betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver, he did what? The correct answer is B. He felt deep remorse, but did not repent. Matthew says, then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Now, by the way, did Judas have free will? Yes, he did. He was a totally free moral agent. Did Jesus predict this would happen? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Number 17, that Judas was an apostle who ultimately committed suicide is the reason he's in hell. How many would say A? How many would say B? How many would say C? The correct answer is C. It's evidence that he has never been born again. It just meant he was not born again. Remember on that occasion in John 6, it's one of the texts here, Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's no, no other place we can go. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus said, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, John adds, the son of of Simon Iscariot, because there's two Judases in the 12, wants to clarify that. For he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. He's called in John 17, the son of perdition. Remember in John 13, a text we looked at recently. You're all clean, but not one of you. One of you is not clean. One of you haven't been saved. By the way, going to hell doesn't, I mean, committing suicide doesn't bring someone to hell. I would say probably the vast majority of people who commit suicide are unbelievers. But can a believer commit suicide? Of course. I did a funeral here for a family that had been coming, a mom and her son, only a month. He was 16 years old, and she was loving our church, and she was going to join, and her son at the bus stop stepped out in front of a cement mixer truck as it came down the highway. He was a believer. But you see, they split up, divorce. They put him on antidepressants. 
You read the label on most of those antidepressants, it may make you suicidal. This young man had confessed Christ, he knew Christ, he was passionate, shared his faith, went on mission trips, and it tore his heart in two when his parents broke up. So, committing suicide doesn't send someone to hell, it might send them to hell sooner, but it's not the cause, it's, it's unbelief. Judas went to hell because he was an unbeliever. 18, the death of Judas can best be described as A and B, D. Correct answer is D. Let's read Matthew's account. As, uh, let me read Matthew as you turn to Acts 1, okay? Acts 1, Matthew 27, and he threw the 30 pieces of silver into the sanctuary, departed. He went away and hanged himself, and the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, it's not lawful to put them into the temple treasury, since it is the price of blood. And they counseled together, and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood. Now, if you're in Acts 1, uh, I want you to notice when you come to verse 18, there's a bracket. Do you see that in the text, the body of the text of the New American Standard? You should have an open Bible. You'll learn, I promise. And your kids are going to ask you this. This is not part of Peter's sermon. Who wrote Acts? Luke. Say Luke. Luke. Who wrote most of the Bible, the New Testament? Say Luke. Don't say Paul. Say Luke. Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other single writer. When you take the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts and the length of those two books, it's longer than all of Paul's letters. With that said, this is a parenthetical note that Luke adds. Look at verse 18. There's no parentheses in, in, in Greek, but it's understood when there's a parenthetical note, so to speak. In addition, you know, Peter is speaking Aramaic to Aramaic speakers. It's a form of Hebrew. And yet Luke, because he's writing not just to Jews but to Gentiles, explains this word, world alkidima, in verse 19. Because again, it's a parenthetical note. Now this man acquired a field, verse 18, with the price of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he bursts open in the middle and all his intestines guests gushed out. Now this is an important verse, several reasons. Number one, the liberals would say, here's a mistake in the Bible. The Bible cannot be trusted. Number two, if Mormons show up at your door, this is one of their favorite verses. When they go through their training before they go on their uh, year-long little mission, they're trained with, quote-unquote, verses that contradict one another. And so one night, providentially, we had to meet the pastor. We were having 15, 20, 25 every Thursday night. And on that night, only four people showed up, and all of them were Mormon missionaries. <laughs> But that was good. God knew we didn't need any people who were searching and looking for Christ to have that exposure. And what did they do? They brought out this text. They love to take that. And, and let me just say, you know, um, the, the Book of Mormon in Mormonism, the Pearl of Great Price and so forth, it's not even close to biblical Christianity. I hope you know that. I hope you know that there are not Christians. And they are trying to partner with evangelicals now in a very asserted way. Um, Vince walked into the food pantry some months ago and there were how many cans? Hundreds? Hundreds and hundreds of canned food. And he looked on the side and you know, it was donated. I saved one. I said, I want, I want one of those for my, and it's in my library. 
donated by the Mormon church. They wanted to creep into our food pantry and have their crummy, dirty witness, a witness that is leading people directly into hell. Paul would say, let them be accursed. Say, you're harsh. I'm just telling you what Scripture says. God hates it when a false teacher leads people into eternal damnation. They deny the deity of Christ. They deny the doctrine of the Trinity. They deny the sufficiency of the Scripture. They deny the substitutionary atonement. They deny eternal retribution. On and on and on we could go. They're not Christians. But again, this is one of their little texts that they like to use. And they say, well, you see, Matthew records that he hung himself. Luke says he fell headlong. What's true, there was a famous theologian. He, I've gotten one book by him. He wrote around 1910, Louis Gasson. He was a French theologian, but he wrote in English, thank God. And, and he describes this gentleman who attempted to commit suicide, and he stood on the ledge of a tall building with a pistol in his hand, and as he jumped, he pulled the trigger. Now, how did the man die? Well, I suppose you could say jumping off a 10-story building or shooting himself in the head. Either answer would be correct. How did, uh, how did this man die? Well, it appears that he hung himself and he died by hanging, and either the knot slipped or the rope broke or the tree limb snapped, and he fell headlong, and, and Luke gives us all the juicy details. So it's not a contradiction, it compliments. In fact, probably more likely what happened is he, he died from hanging, and as he hung there, I've only had to deal with one hanging as a pastor. The dear mother went into the room and saw that bloated body. That's what happens. 19, before Pilate, the religious leaders accused Christ of all of the above. E is the correct answer. We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is a king. He stirs up the people. That's just Luke's account. All right, 20, the stated reason Pilate sent Herod to Herod, Christ to Herod Antipas was A, Jesus was a Galilean and therefore under Herod's jurisdiction. I'm sure, you know, it was difficult for Pilate to deal with this, but technically, let's send him over there. Let him deal with this problem. They weren't good friends. In fact, Luke says in Luke 23, 12, and so Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for previously they had been enemies towards one another. But there is a fellowship in evil, just like we're seeing in our day. It's the end of Romans 1. They not only know the ordinances that they are breaking are wrong and worthy of death, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. They become evangelists for sin. That's our government right now. It's beyond belief. 21. After Pilate declared that he could find no guilt in Christ to satisfy the crowd... C, had him scourged and allowed the soldiers to mock him as a king. 22, how many times did Pilate confess he could find no guilt? C, three times. 
And he said to them the third time, and you can read the accounts carefully, and you'll see each time. What evil has he done? I found no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I'll punish him and release him. 23, the name of the place where Christ was crucified is known as all the above. Golgotha. It's also called the skull, or in some translations, the cranium. In the King James, they render it from the Latin as Calvary in one place. So Calvary in Luke 23, 33, in most English Bibles, it says the skull, but it's the Latin word cranion, which is the Latin word for skull. And so they remember the Latin Vulgate is what was used for a thousand years. And so when you're translating the Bible, you're trying to translate to communicate. And so it was a good translation, but just understand that in many countries of the world, when you speak of Calvary, they don't even know what you're talking about. Because they're either going to translate it literally from the Greek as the skull, or they're going to translate it three times where it's used and stated as Golgotha. Okay, but again, I love Calvary too, right? I mean, it, it, it's from the Latin, just like rapture from the Latin. I love the rapture. You can call it the catching up. You can call it the hard part. So it doesn't matter. Uh, 24, the expression via Dolorosa refers to, what's the best answer? F, all the above. Certainly there is a song. I won't, I won't try to sing it. Uh, it literally from the Latin means the way of suffering or the sorrowful way. And of course, it's highlighted, especially if you grew up in a liturgical church, especially Roman Catholicism or one of the Orthodox branches where they do the stations of the cross. They have 14 stations of the cross in the Roman Catholic Church, many of which are just found nowhere in Scripture. Like um, a towel is handed to Jesus and he wipes his face, and then there's an image of his face in the towel, one of the stations, and so forth. So there's a lot of extra-biblical, traditional things that have absolutely nothing to do with Scripture. But if you go to Jerusalem, there's the Via Dolorosa, and at one point it splits, depending whether you think Calvary's over this way, where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is at Helena established in the late third century, or it's this way towards what we would call Gordon's Calvary. Now, we may not be able to be dogmatic, though I give 15 reasons why I think Gordon's Calvary is correct when I go there, but I can tell you this, it's not over here. It's not on Mount Zion. They're not even on the right mountain. And it's just like when you go to Tabga, uh, they celebrate the feeding of the 5,000. didn't happen there. It happened on the other side of the lake. So, but sometimes they'll build a church and commemorate some event that took place there and it's not some important things happened at Tabgal, but not, not that one. Um, 25, the sign written over the top of Christ's head was written in what? D, all of the above. It was written in Hebrew, which is the language of the religious, Greek, the language of the empire, philosophy, and it's written in Latin, which is the legal language. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Now... No, we didn't put it on this one. Sometimes you'll see, okay, well, you, you see the Cairo there uh, that looks like a P with an X through it? That is a Greek symbol for Christ, Christos. 
It's in caps, chi, the capital row. Sometimes you'll see above the cross, I-N-R-I. That's from the Latin inscription. Jesus Nazareth Rex Iodorium. Now, if you're from the Orthodox, they put I-N-B-I because they put those uh, abbreviations more out of the Greek and they use the word basileus or, or king. But again, those are just little symbols that have meaning and we should learn the meaning of those. Um, 26, the crowds who witness the events. So that's an abbreviation, I-N-R-I. When you see that over the top of the cross, that's an abbreviation for Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews, just using first letters of Latin or in the Orthodox Church, which the Orthodox Church is actually, some of the things that they taught were really right on. If they, if they taught some of the things that they wrote down in history, that they wouldn't be all that bad. They have some weird things on Mary and other things, but, but they had a lot of true things. The problem is they, they, don't, they don't teach them. 26, the crowds who witnessed the events of the Christian crucifixion went away what? See, beating their breasts. 27, while Christ carried his cross to the place of the skull, women were mourning and lamenting Christ. Luke 23, 27. And Jesus will go on. Well, let me just read it. And, the, and following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? And so Jesus is using this proverbial saying, when a tree is green, there's blessing. When it's dry, it's bad conditions. There's divine judgment. If the Romans condemned an innocent man, which they did, what are they going to do when they condemn guilty people? And of course, he's, he's looking initially in Luke's gospel to 70 AD, and when you put the other accounts, then he projects even further into another time that 70 AD in some ways will replicate, and it's called the Great Tribulation. 28, while Christ carried his own cross, Simon of Cyrene, C, helped carry the cross of Christ. He was pressed into service. Sometimes in a movie, oh, he's reluctant. They force him to serve, but then he's happy and he's got a smile on his face. We don't know that. That's what we call eisegesis, reading into the text. A Roman says, here, help carry the cross. And of course, when they carried the cross, the, the, the the center beam was usually in place, and what you carried was the cross beam to the place of judgment. And usually the criminal would carry it all the way, but in this case, of course, Jesus was so badly scourged and wounded, probably a large loss of blood, he needed help. So here is Simon the Cyrene, and there was a large Jewish community in Cyrene. He may be African, he's from a section of Africa, we don't know he's African. Again, that's eisegesis. Could very well be African. Are there black Jews? Yes, there are. Solomon had a lot of women, and it resulted in a large group of, of black Jews that you will meet when you go to Israel. 
But in either case, he, he goes to Jerusalem for Passover to, to sacrifice his Passover lamb. But on the way, he meets the lamb of God who is the Passover lamb. The persons who asked Pilate for his body or person was C, Joseph of Arimathea. He became a believer. Now, Nicodemus helped him in the burial process, but it was Joseph who made the request. Third, if Jesus died on Friday to say that he rose from the dead on the third day, C demands that we follow the Jewish understanding that a part of the day can signify a whole day. Remember, a Jewish day starts at sundown. And so he dies on Friday before sundown. They want to make sure they get the bodies off the cross before sundown. That's day one. Sabbath starts at sundown through Saturday sundown. That's day two. And early on the third day, he rises from the dead. And so part of a day can represent a whole day. I've given you some examples you can study, especially Esther 4. 33, the first two apostles to come to the tomb were Peter and John. 34, after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the answer is all of the above. And 35, after Jesus rose from the dead, before he ascended, he appeared to the disciples 40 days. So he dies on Passover. He's buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He comes out of the grave on the Feast of first fruits. He walks on the earth for 40 days, makes various appearances, sends into heaven. 10 days later on Shavuot in Greek, Pentecost, we think of it as purely a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing. In the, in the Greek translation of the Bible, it reads Pentecost, and that's what most Jews read. And we've adopted the, the Greek term, Pentecost, to describe that fourth spring feast that Jesus fulfilled through the sending of the Spirit. How many got 100? All right, thank God, thank God we're saved by grace and not by how much we know. <laughs> All right, let's, let's bow in prayer as our men come to uh, administer the elements uh, as we come before we participate in the eating of the bread. Let me just say, if you're a believer, you're welcome to participate. You don't need to be a member of this church. If you're a member of the body of Christ, you are free to join us. But God tells us, warns us not to participate in an unworthy fashion. In an unworthy fashion is to eat of the bread or to drink of the cup, the very symbols that picture the great price by which we were purchased to eat of those in an unworthy fashion. And the scripture defines an unworthy fashion with known rebellious sin in our hearts. So this is a time of self-examination. If there's any sin that needs to be confessed and repented of, bring it to the Lord. And certainly if there's someone with whom you need to be made right with, if possible, as much as it depends on you, it's not always possible, but if it is possible, you do what you need to do to own your portion of guilt and ask them for forgiveness. Our Father, we thank you for the bread and for the picture of Christ's body that on this coming Friday, that Passover in that year, where he became sin for us, that we might become his righteousness. Lord Jesus, thank you for the incredible price that you paid, for your willingness to become the object of the Father's wrath.
for you to know the separation that you'd never known before in a perfect love relationship. May we be forever grateful. Now examine us. See if there be any hurtful way in us that we might confess it and forsake it and walk in righteousness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take the cup and we'll eat it together as a symbol of the bread, as a symbol of our unity. Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. And as they celebrated Passover, he then took a cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. And he tells us in Matthew's account, it's representative of the blood that he was shed the very next day. When the priests were in the temple slicing the throats of lambs that needed to be unblemished, that were raised outside of Bethlehem, that came through the sheep's gate, the one born in Bethlehem who made his way down the Palm Sunday road and through the sheep's gate and ultimately to Golgotha on Friday, the same time as they slaughtered those sheep. The Lord Jesus was crucified for us. So as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again because he's coming. Even so, come Lord Jesus.